This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. It's been a day of extreme highs and devastating lows in the wildfire crisis impacting our province. Once again tonight, we bring you live coverage from several of the communities directly impacted. Our reporters in the field giving us a clearer picture of the wins and the losses in the BC wildfire fight. But first, we're going to start with a breaking news win. A short time ago, BC's Minister of Emergency Preparedness announced that the emergency accommodation travel ban has had the desired effect and it will be rescinded as of midnight tonight, three days after it was brought in. That's for all areas except West Kelowna for the time being. We know that communities right across the interior are looking forward to welcoming tourists back into their communities. Communities like the city of Kelowna is open for business for people to visit. However, we do ask that all travelers be very mindful that there are still fire affected communities. So we have heard from communities like this uh, West Kelowna in particular, Lake Country and the Shoe Swap that now is not the time to visit them. Well, let's start there in West Kelowna, where we have a much better understanding of how many homes have been lost and saved in the firefight. Cassidy Moscone joins us live. And Cassidy, I know you got a boat tour and saw firsthand the extent of the damage along that waterfront. Yes, we did. I don't think anyone could prepare um, just how haunting it was. You know, when that smoke cleared across the lake, it was total devastation. Uh, the fire chiefs are predicting no more than 90 homes lost in the West Kelowna and West Bank area. Uh, three homes and two outbuildings in Kelowna and in Lake Country, three homes lost. Beneath the smoke across Okanagan Lake, devastation. It's pretty empty, I guess, is the feeling. There's just nothing there. Nothing at all. The harrowing pictures speak for themselves. Homes that once lined West Side Road no longer. Fallen victim to the flames that roared across the mountain on Thursday night. The mountains around our community are going to look different. We haven't seen them since the, the fire. And it, it, might, uh, it might be pretty dramatic uh, to, to start to see what, what we've lost out there. Uh, yeah, you can see the fence there. Amongst the rubble and melted metal, Wildlife forage on the banks of West Kelowna up to Traders Cove, now unrecognisable. It was actually a big one with a big red roof, very noticeable. Clearer skies giving homeowners their first glimpse at what's left. Ours in that greenhouse beside us is gone. This West Kelowna couple realising their retirement dreams were over through our camera lens. It hasn't really set in yet that was our retirement home all we had was there there was so many memories of our precious parents and lives 
Ross and Nora, sadly, one of many families tonight without a home to go home to. Certainly we prayed for everybody in the, in the neighbourhood. Um, and... Uh, Wayne's place we, beside us is still we have standing. Good, we have good... Oh. We have had good neighbours. We did. We had the best. As numbers are released over the coming days, we must remember that these are people's lives and communities that are going to be deeply hurting for quite some time. Right now, there are still over 8,000 residents under evacuation order and just over 10,000 under evacuation alert. Chris. And we'll get an update on that in just a moment. Cassidy, thanks very much. That's Cassidy Moscone in West Kelowna. Now, the fire chief there says the round-the-clock firefight resulted in more than 3,000 homes being saved. And Richard Zussman is live with more on that part of the story. Richard, no doubt an emotional return for some of those people today. Absolutely, Chris. We're in this neighborhood off West Side Road and this area spared. People coming home today, the evacuation order lifted, replaced by an evacuation alert. But there are so many reminders around us about what is still ongoing. Ash in the air, smoke in the sky and symbols like this. Burnt out parts of trees that are littered amongst part of this neighborhood. But for those home now, at least tonight, they get to rest on their own pillow. It's so surreal to just watch this. But you know what? The wind shifted. When Brian Armstrong fled his neighborhood last week, he didn't know what he would be coming back to, if anything. On Tuesday, he saw his home still standing. I'm telling you, we did a dance. I saw a neighbor with his truck unloading, and we're dancing in the parking lot. It is such a relief. It just feels so good to be home again. Evacuation orders turning into evacuation alerts for thousands of homes late Monday and into early Tuesday. The fire situation to the point where it's safe to go home. I can't believe my deck didn't burn with the embers that size sitting on it. Wow. Yeah, lucky be good. Firefighters in some cases making last minute decisions. The West Kelowna Fire Chief estimating saved many homes. There was a very close call in one of the neighborhoods where a tree and wood pile ignited and uh, the, ho the home nearby was saved through the action of firefighters. Everyone coming home on Tuesday aware they're still under alert. And although the weather is good now, things could change. I'm just, I'm glad to be home. Hopefully get back to normal soon. There are still signs this is far from normal. Residents are being asked to use bottled water because in some areas the tap water not usable. But home means at least a place to prepare a meal and get a good night's rest. Euphoric. Absolutely euphoric. You know, th there's just, uh, you know, I, I never thought uh, I could have that intensity of a feeling. As part of Premier David Eby's tour to the region today, he flew over top of this area in a helicopter and he described how incredible it was to see those homes destroyed, but just right nearby those homes that were saved. And those in homes that were saved breathing this great sigh of relief tonight, Chris, as they may even be watching this show from the comfort of their own living room after being out for days and days. It's got to feel like a miracle to a lot of them. Thanks very much, Richard. Yeah. All right, Richard Zussman, also in West Kelowna Forest tonight. Now, it's a lot of information. It's constantly changing. So let's go to Travis Prasad now.
who has a rundown of where people are on alert and which areas are still on evacuation order. Travis. Yeah, Chris, a dynamic situation to say the least in the Kelowna area right now. We'll try to give you a little more clarity on who's allowed back to their homes and businesses. Let's start here on the west side of the lake. The West Bank First Nation IR 10 south of Lindley Drive and Bear Creek Road. This is now under evacuation alert, not order. Keep in mind, Rose Valley Estates or Rose Valley and West Kelowna Estates directly west of the West Bank First Nation. This is all still on evacuation order. It's just this area. Also in West Kelowna, Smith Creek, Elliott Road, Smith Creek Road, Herald Road, Horizon Drive. It's about 25 properties there that are now on evacuation alert. Now let's go back in Kelowna. There's also an update to share with you here. Quail Ridge and UBC Okanagan. So properties off of Quail Ridge Boulevard, and this includes the Okanagan Golf Club. Those are now on evacuation alert, not order, along with 56 properties in the UBCO district. Now a little further north, we go up to Lake Country, and that's where we'll find Glenmore Road. So east of Glenmore Road, all the way to Highway 97, down to the southernmost boundary of Lake Country. All of this now on evacuation alert, not order, but everything west to the lake, all of this, still evacuation order. Then you've got the Davidson area, Bond Road, Cemetery Road, Davidson Road, Nigran Road. It's about 73 properties in that area, now on evacuation alert. So that's about it for now. It's not a very big amount of evacuation orders turning into alerts, but at this point, it's a welcome sign of progress in this wildfire fight there, Chris. Yeah, and you know those homeowners will take anything they can get moving from order to alert. For Thanks sure. very much for the update, Travis. Well, in the shoe swap, many residents are exhausted and frustrated and hoping for more information about the firefight in their specific region. Troy Charles joins us live with the heightened emotion in that region. Troy? Chris, it's been a long four days since the evacuees from the Bush Creek East wildfire were forced to flee their homes. And while many of them maintain they are being provided ample support at their evac centers, they are anxious to return home. Unfortunately, that still won't be happening for a while. Just day by day. That's all you can do. The evacuees of the Bush Creek East wildfire are ready to go home. But with numerous structures lost to the fire, some families won't have that luxury. This is the, the house. This is our, what's left standing is our wood burning stove. Doug and Roxanne lost their home and Bottle Depot business in Scotch Creek. I'm still probably holding it inside me. Yeah, he is. Uh, my wife did some crying. The couple, along with many other evacuees, are being stationed in Salmon Arm. And Kathy Semchuk and her team at the Shushwap Emergency Program are doing what they can to help. They're devastated, but I tell you they're saying that they're already thinking about their recovery and what their plan looks like and, and how they can get back together as a community. Janice Betts' home in Lee Creek is still standing and she's ready to return to it. I just want to go home. <laughs> I'm sure everybody wants to go home. Yeah. It originally started with two individual fires on either side of Adams Lake. With downed uh, power lines and the remaining wildfire threat, a return to these evacuated areas is not imminent. It's not anytime soon. We're not talking tomorrow or the next day. Um, again, it will be a day by day. We ask every day um, that when we have an evacuation order on is, okay, when can we start thinking about people to go home?
While some are ready to head back home, there are those that never left. And Premier David Eby was questioned about their treatment earlier today in Kamloops. There's people still up there trying to help and they're getting arrested. There are police boats at the shore stopping supplies. Officials maintain that those behind in evacuated areas must either leave or remain on their properties. With such a fluid situation, authorities and some evacuees are preaching patience. Yes, we all want to go back to Scotch Creek, but it's not safe right now, so we just have to be patient. Now, Chris, the CSRD, they take their direction on the lifting of evacuation notices from BC Wildfire. And I spoke with BC Wildfire earlier today, and they maintain that getting people home is a top priority, but it just won't happen until roadways and power lines are cleared and restored. And when there is obviously no longer an imminent fire threat in those areas. Back to you. Yeah, some of that video showed all the work that needs to be done on those power lines at least that before things get open. Troy, thanks very much. It's a lot cooler today. Some rain fell. Senior meteorologist mm -hmm. Christy Gordon is here now to tell us more. Obviously, this is probably not enough to make a difference, right? No, I mean, we've, it's been more than a month and we've had substantial rain and we know even beyond that how dry it is. Uh, so we really need days of rain to make an impact. Nonetheless, here's a look. We did see some rain in the Chase sort of Shushwap region from late morning through the early afternoon hours. But the bulk of the rainfall today was from the Kootenai region shifting up into the Columbia area. In fact, Revelstoke saw more than 40 millimeters of rain and we just needed that swath of rain to be a little bit further west. What's developing now, though, is a line of thunderstorms from Mary right up into Kamloops, hopefully impacting that fire just south of Kamloops. But in and around these uh, thunderstorms can be gusty winds and there is concern from Environment Canada for the potential for localized heavy downpours, which we know can happen from thunderstorms. The concern there, because we have so many burn scars in the area, the potential for runoff or debris flow. So they put out that warning to everyone. That's for the Okanagan Valley, uh, not only right now, but through the overnight period, the South Thompson and the Nicola region. Back to you. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Well, people who lost homes in this summer's wildfires are being promised help from government to rebuild, but nothing is assured, and Lytton is a very good example. More than two years after that village was wiped out by fire, almost nothing has been rebuilt. Krista Dow has more on the disconnect between the promises and reality. For those who've lost everything in the aftermath, there will no doubt be sadness and uncertainty and also perhaps frustration as they navigate the rebuilding process. Disgusting. It's just disgusting. I just finally got my paperwork in. I have report after report after Felix report. Felix von Vegesack has been on a two-year journey trying to rebuild his Killiney Beach home that was destroyed by fire. He knows all too well about the challenges others will soon face and the words uttered from politicians. We know that there are lots of people who have lost everything and we're, we're going to be there to support them. Whatever the premier says, it's rhetoric. He's, he's saying what he thinks he has to say, but there's a big gap between that and reality. Bernie Fandridge has been living through that disconnect in Lytton. Two years on since Farr wiped out the village and not a single permit has been issued. We've been working and writing letters and contacting you know, people as, as much as we can to, to, uh, to move things forward. So we're very frustrated as well. He says many of the delays are due to red tape involving potential heritage sites. 
His wife Lorna Thandridge is trying to rebuild the Lytton Chinese History Museum and, like many other businesses, is hitting one roadblock after roadblock. I cannot go ahead because of the waiting for the archaeology report. Right now I'm waiting for the topographical map. All of the building records, uh, things like that, all of the infrastructure you would need to begin uh, a reconstruction process was essentially wiped out. Uh, with the community itself. Sutherland says some have chosen to take a cash settlement, while others are going through the insurance process, adding it typically takes about 12 to 18 months to rebuild a home or business. For Lytton residents, that timeline has come and gone. My hope is that they will um, have learned things from our Lytton example and that they'll move ahead more quickly with the Kelowna group. Offering support and advice from one fire-ravaged community to another. Krista Dow, Global News. Prince George residents shocked by a major explosion. Holy The blast that rocked the downtown core, sending victims to hospital and an update on their condition next on the News Hour. I saw a flame directly across the street. How doorbell cams become a useful tool in the firefight also as a way to show gratitude later on the news hour. Plus, he survived the Second World War and a career on the rails. What he's doing for his 100th birthday coming up on the news hour as well. Right now, though, a massive explosion that leveled a building in Prince George this morning is considered suspicious. Three people were sent to hospital, one with critical injuries. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, RCMP are making an urgent appeal for any video from the area. Just f***ing blew up. Holy. Emergency responders rushed toward the smoke and flames as Prince George residents looked on. Two people could be seen stumbling from the wreckage. Another person appeared trapped. It was just after 7 a.m. Tuesday when a massive explosion leveled an abandoned building in the downtown core. The blast so powerful it shattered glass at neighboring buildings. It could be heard and felt from kilometers away. It was like the shock waves hit the house. And we had an earthquake a few years ago, and, and at first I thought that's what it was. Three people were taken to hospital with various injuries. One person is uh, being moved into what is called uh, urgent care and is in critical condition. Two people are doing, uh, are in fair condition. Images from a few years ago show how the building looked before the explosion. The structure now an unrecognizable pile of debris. We had to proceed with caution. We had several hazards to deal with immediately, and at this time we are now slowly starting to clean and pick our way through the debris. The explosion was unsettling for some residents who worried about who might have been injured. You know, I've lived here almost all my life, so there's a good chance it could be someone I know or someone that I know that knows them. Police are calling the explosion suspicious. We know in talks with Fortis that natural gas was present. Was that what caused the explosion? That is unknown currently. Investigators are seeking dash cam or surveillance video from anyone who was in the area at the time of the explosion. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. For the first time, the trial of the man accused of killing a young B.C. teenager six years ago has heard from the family of the victim. As Ramina Dea reports, the young teen's older brother told court about his last correspondence with his sister, before receiving the terrible news. 
The witness still has his little sister's last messages on his cell phone from six years ago. He told the jury she wrote Big Brother, asking him which Harry Potter house name he chooses and what's his size. The witness, who cannot be identified because of a publication ban, said he was teaching in Beijing when the messages popped up. A few hours later, a frantic, panicked message from his mother that his sister had not come home. The witness said he tried messaging her, but no response. Then the grim news. His sister's partially undressed body was discovered in the forest in Burnaby Central Park on July 19, 2017. The witness said he spoke to his sister on a WeChat video call several weeks before she died. And she seemed normal, happy, smiling and laughing. A different picture, however, emerging from defense counsel. During testimony of a family friend Tuesday, Kevin McCullough said the teen was a disturbed kid, a child of divorce. Crown's theory is that the accused, 33-year-old Ibrahim Ali, sexually assaulted and strangled the teen. Ali's DNA found inside the girl, said Isabel Keeley during her opening address four months ago. Crown said it was a random attack. Ali and the teen did not know each other. Ali has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. The teen's brother is back on the stand Wednesday. He's expected to be cross-examined later this week. Romina Dea, Global News. Coming up, coastal repairs. With a big job ahead, how long this critical BC ferry will be out of service? And the surreal image of a BC fire NATO, where this thing appeared and what caused it later. Continue to avoid Highway 17 in Surrey. Westbound traffic remains blocked west of Tannery due to a fatal crash. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $23 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 17 in Surrey. BC Ferries has been dealing with a lot of problems this year, ranging from staffing shortages to historically high passenger volumes. One of the most challenging problems has been mechanical issues with the coastal renaissance. And as Kristen Robinson reports, we learned today that ship could be out of service for two months or longer. The coastal renaissance sits in Departure Bay awaiting an engine repair. The 16-year-old German-built vessel is unlikely to return to service before mid-October. Certainly this is a major issue um, and it's, it's extremely unfortunate. Uh, we'll do everything we can to get it back into service. BC Ferries says the stator or stationary part of the motor needs a fix while the rotor or rotating part will be replaced. It's hoping the work can be done locally. We don't know the full repair scope yet and we won't know that until we have the uh, rotor extracted and we're able to do a full inspection. The coastal renaissance, which has two regular routes between Vancouver and the island, will be dry docked over the Labor Day long weekend and potentially Thanksgiving. Generally speaking, these are some of the most reliable vessels in the fleet. The renaissance was removed from service last week after engine problems cancelled multiple sailings. In July, the vessel experienced mechanical problems the same day the coastal celebration returned to service after being sidelined for a week with propulsion issues. That vessel also out of commission with the same problem for the Canada Day long weekend. How long was the warranty on the three C-class vessels and are they lemons? Any vessel equipment warranty would typically last between 12 months and two years after the vessel, after, after the equipment's been fitted or after the vessel's been launched. 
And no, I don't believe these vessels are lemons. BC Ferries is halfway through notifying 7,500 customers who'd reserved on the Renaissance through Labor Day. With cancellations, the long weekend is expected to be busy. Staff now working on a post-September 4th schedule. We're just in the process of identifying uh, refit uh, timelines and, uh, and other pieces uh, of this puzzle. BC Ferries also calculating the total maintenance costs for the coastal renaissance since it entered service in March 2008. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Just ahead, generosity overload. The outpouring of support at the fire hall has been overwhelming. With wildfire donations piling up, a powerful message from first responders before you give anything. And what this World War II veteran is getting for his 100th birthday. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Just some leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services, and that's no accident. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Some Metro Vancouver charitable organizations are mobilizing in a big way to help the victims of the Okanagan wildfires. Grace Key has that part of the story and a grateful request from yet another official that people stop delivering one particular kind of help. Donations are piling up at the Deshmesh, Darba, Gurdwara and Surrey. United Seeks, a global charitable organization, is working with the Salvation Army to get much-needed supplies to evacuees and firefighters battling the Grouse Complex fire. With Salvation Army, they're the main hub that we're uh, taking all the supplies to. Um, while I was speaking to you, I got a text message from them saying that they are in need of, uh, they want to pop for five days, about 300 cans per day. And uh, the coolers are needed for the firefighters that are fighting on the front line. We just want to make sure we got good fruit. At the Central Okanagan Food Bank, workers are busy sorting out food headed for evacuees. Specific items are needed as many will have little means to prepare meals. It's the handheld stuff. It's the things that people can actually open up when they're in a hotel room. These are the practical things. Some 800 hampers will be put together for evacuees at the emergency reception centers. As of Friday, uh, we started responding to the crisis and we actually created 600 emergency hampers. Uh, on Friday, and by yesterday, those emergency hampers have been delivered and given out to people that are in need, uh, especially at the, uh, you know, the reception, emergency reception centers. Some of these items came from the Guru Nanak Food Bank in Surrey, who is working directly with the local food bank. They actually provide us the list which need things they need. Then we will load up that all the things in our 40 feet containers and we will send here to help those people. While these groups are working with charitable organizations, many others have been dropping off food at the fire halls, prompting this message from the fire chief. 
Well, the outpouring of support at the fire hall has been overwhelming, and now we have an overwhelming amount of perishable food in the fire hall. Instead, people are being asked to work with charity organizations if they want to help, or like these children, who answered the call from the West Kelowna Fire Chief, thanking firefighters for keeping them safe from the blaze. Grace Key, Global News. Well, needless to say, the wildfire disaster in the Okanagan is having a huge impact on mental health. And one psychologist is offering some advice on how to limit the damage. Registered child and adult psychologist Heather McEachern says there are five things people can do right now to help them navigate these difficult times. First of all, you should seek support from others. Find your way back to your routine. Exercise if you can find the time. Try to stay calm in front of the children. I'll get back to that in a second. And access community resources. There are many out there for you. Now, she stresses the most important thing is to stay calm in front of the kids. They are watching you to see how to interpret this. And I advise that you get your support as an adult, but that when dealing with your children, you look at the bright side as much as possible, and you also help your children to know what stays the same. They get to have the same parents, the same siblings, the same friends, and they get to have um, a lot of things that are grounding for them going forward. McEachern says other ways to manage the stress now or to prioritize self-care routines. Watch your favorite comforting movies, practice breathing techniques, and try meditation. It works. Well, just ahead, the unique way some are showing appreciation to the hardworking firefighters in our province. The doorbell effect, the new technology that says thank you, and how others are showing appreciation as well. And later in sports, one of the best young golfers on the planet ready to compete in Vancouver. Global BC wants to see you at the PNE Fair. Catch all the fun at this end of summer tradition, from attractions and entertainment to food and rides, and the stories that make it all come alive. The PNE Fair, in partnership with Global BC. The BC Wildfire Service has released video of a rarely seen fire tornado. For dramatic effect, some people shorten it to fire NATO. Spotted last week near Lillooet, the eerie phenomenon, also known as a fire whirl, was spotted in the early morning hours of August 17th on the edge of Gun Lake. It's the result of a combination of extremely low humidity, a raging fire, and a cold front that made the temperature drop quickly 20 degrees. The fire service describes the tornado as an intensely rotating column of gas and flame. What an amazing image. Very cool. All right, let's check in on what's going on in the weather right now with senior meteorologist Christy Gordon. Christy. Well, uh, just a couple of minutes ago, a severe thunderstorm warning ended for the South Thompson region. Thankfully, we still have a few watches in effect, but thunderstorms are making their way through the region and starting to ease in terms of their intensity, nonetheless bringing lightning strikes. Now, we talked about earlier the potential for more rain tomorrow. We've got rainfall warnings. I haven't said that term in a long time. That's for the Chilcotin region and the Peace River area. Chilcotin region could see 50 millimeters of rain as this pulse of rainfall makes its way along the eastern 
slope of the Rocky Mountains, hopefully impacting those fires in and around Lillooet and even further south, hopefully into Lytton. BC Peace River area also getting substantial rain before it shifts out early Thursday. Now, as for the Okanagan Valley, we're not expecting much. Scattered showers tonight or a risk of thunderstorms, but not substantial rain. However, at least the temperatures will stay low, the relative humidity high for one more day before, as you can see here, we have a ridge of high pressure. Temperatures are going to climb and that relative humidity will begin to come down as we head into the weekend. Now, the smoke has improved across the south coast. Air quality uh, advisory ended today, but I have a feeling we'll see it be put back in tomorrow as more smoke is expected to shift in. Now, it may just be haze over higher levels for tomorrow, but I am expecting it to last into our Thursday, becoming potentially more smoky. We'll have more on that. For our region, it's just a slight chance of showers along the mountains and out through the Fraser Valley. I'm expecting a bit more cloud cover tomorrow, but breaks of blue sky in the afternoon. But again, that'll depend on how much smoke we see, whether we even enjoy any of those that blue sky warming up this weekend. And again, we'll be watching the smoke very closely. Here's a look at tonight's central windows weather window, which comes to you from Harrison Lake. I love the waves in the in the sky here from what it could be either. I'm, I'm guessing that there's cirrus clouds, Chris, but I was thinking maybe it's a little bit of smoke in the upper atmosphere as well. Nonetheless, thanks to Kirsten for that shot. Waves upon waves in that image for sure. Thanks very much, Christy. That's a beautiful shot. Well, here's a sign of the times and how technology impacts nearly every aspect of our lives. Those doorbell cameras have become a window into firefighting efforts for some evacuees. And while they can watch the heroic efforts to protect their property in real time, it's also become one of many ways evacuees are thanking our hardworking fire crews. Fire trucks from 32 was at the light beside me and I started to choke up and honk the horn, gave him a thumbs up and yeah. like to thank them. And the very fact is going. that, you know, you go up to the fire hall and there's a truck from Asuyas and there's a truck from Vernon and there's a truck from the Kootenays and there's a truck from Vancouver Island. And, you know, from all over BC, people are here helping. I know lots of you are tired. Um, you're tired of being out of your homes. You're tired of this situation that we're in and, and so are we. Yeah. But we're not stopping and get, we're, we're not giving up and nor should you. Uh, our firefighters are in your neighborhoods. You know this because many of you have doorbell cams. Hello? How you doing? Uh, many of you have witnessed the hard work and heroics often of the firefighters, in some cases saving your homes uh, with the garden hoses uh, that you've left out for us. Uh, in some cases you've seen them come and put sprinklers on your homes, move your patio furniture, um, fire smart, move your wood pile, take care of your propane tanks. It's, it's been an interesting factor uh, for us um, that often you've talked back to us through your doorbell cams. Hold on, can you repeat? I saw a flame directly across the street. So the unit across from me on the right-hand side. Flames directly across the street on the right-hand side. Okay, we'll take a look. Thank you. And told us that we're doing a good job. And that's new for us. Um, but we appreciate that. I'm going to pass it on to the next shift and they will be back to check on it over the night. Oh, mate, we can't thank you enough. Thank you so, so much. I, I have to say, I, I really am beginning to feel like we're turning the corner here on this fire. We're going to get this thing across the finish line. Thank you.
Couldn't be happier for those guys. We're more thankful. So keep up the great work and know the whole province is behind you as you do that work, saving those homes, so many of them. All right, we'll bring in uh, Asa right now for a look ahead to what's coming up in sports. Yeah, Big golf. Yeah, that's right. CPKC Women's Open is here this weekend. Canadian Brooke Henderson will have some stiff competition, including this young golfer. This is a new track that I've never seen before. I've never been to Canada, so uh, this is a first-time experience. Yeah, new territory for Rose Zhang, but Jay Jenner tells us that shouldn't be an issue for the budding Rose. Look forward to that also tonight. Oh, boy. <laughs> Bill Hamill's big birthday and how he is still the life of the party. So Raymond's in for Squire tonight. Uh, he's probably off golfing somewhere. And, and I think he is. He's doing a lot of that this week. Yeah, <laughs> golfing's a good topic, golf, isn't sure. it? That's right. Yeah, the CPKC Women's Open tees off this week at Shaughnessy Golf and Country Club. The field of 156 golfers is set, and it includes some of the world's biggest and brightest stars, including 20-year-old Rose Zhang. Jay Janauer shares her story. Rose Zhang is here in her first start as a professional. She wins the Mizuho Americas Open. It's been incredible. Um, I'm three months into my professional career, so it's a little hard to think about. Um, there's so much that has happened. Um, trust, I'm just trying to take it in my stride, but I've got another long year ahead and um, more experiences to really see. There's been a lot of celebrating in Rose Zhang's young golf career. A few months back, she made LPGA history, becoming the first player to win on tour the first time she teed it up as a pro. This after Rose made NCAA history, winning back-to-back -back individual collegiate championships, as well as the Augusta National Women's Amateur for good measure back in the spring. It's been a meteoric rise that's propelled the 20-year-old into golf's superstar stratosphere. I could have never imagined myself uh, to be in this position, not only as a professional athlete now, but just as a person and a character. Um, I knew that golf would take me to meet other people and different people of all ages, of all cultures, but never except, expected myself to, you know, really interact and engage with so many amazing, incredible, inspiring people. This is a young woman who's also keenly aware of inspiring others herself. Rosa's never been to Canada before, and the very first stop she made was here at Musqueam, where local elders, the First Tee, Golf Canada, and the Musqueam Indian Band warmly welcomed her to town, as Zhang put on a little golf clinic before heading over to see the Shaughnessy Golf Course for the first time. Well, I think it means a lot to the kids, you know. Uh, like I said, everything we do with our community is for the future and for the, the children now, so to have them down here to, uh, is, the, the kids are very, very honoured, and uh, they know they're, they're got a special, special uh, place to be able to 
show up and have those individuals come into our community. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to do with my platform and uh, I feel like I'm really humbled to be able to be someone who can give back to a community um, who is inspired and wants to go out and try the game of golf. Um, I just feel really lucky to be able to spend time here so uh, if anything it's never a sacrifice. <laughs> Everybody say thanks Rose! be a fun tournament this weekend. Meanwhile, former BC Lions president Rick Lalashur is now the president and CEO of the Elks, a position he previously held with the team from 2002 to 2011. During that time, he lifted the Grey Cup twice. On the football side, take it game by game as, as you do in football, and uh, uh, we'll take it from there. On the business side, I'm going to have to look into the uh, everything that's been going on in the financials. I think it's it's no secret that the team has been struggling and I'm not going to be able to flip a switch and it change overnight. This is a longer term fix, but I've committed to the to Tom and the board that uh, I'll be here for particularly the next four months as as we look for a, a, a new CEO and I will not be a candidate. Big job there in Edmonton. Meanwhile, slight scare for Seattle Seahawks fans. Rookie wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba injured his wrist in his preseason game against the Cowboys on Saturday. He'll undergo surgery and his status for week one of the NFL regular season is uncertain. Smith and Jigba was the first receiver selected in the 2023 draft when the Seahawks picked him 20th overall. So they have high hopes for him and he kind of resembles a golden Tate. Seahawks fans might be familiar with him, so he's a pretty explosive, dynamic player. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, speaking of uh, dynamic personalities, we've got Bill Hamill, the 100-year-old World War II vet going on the journey of a lifetime. Next. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. All your local news... All your breaking news. All the news you need. Get it at 6. Global News Hour at 6. Andrew joins us now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. And thanks, Chris. A Prince George RCMP officer is facing an assault charge related to an arrest a year ago today. Constable Paul St. Marie is already facing a manslaughter charge after this confrontation in Prince George back in 2017. He now faces an assault charge that carries a maximum penalty of five years in prison. St. Marie is also the subject of an RCMP code of conduct investigation. And We'll have reaction to the province's announcement that BC's travel order ban will be lifted at midnight in most areas of the interior. That's tonight at 11. Chris. Look forward to that. Thanks very much, Ann. All right, a second World War veteran and longtime CN Rail employee has come up with a unique way to celebrate his 100th birthday. Bill Hamill is riding the rails for one last train trip across Canada. Jay Durant caught up with, caught up with him before he left on This Is BC. Congratulations. Okay, thank you very yeah, much. Okay. A small ceremony on the platform of Pacific Central Station on Bill Hamill's 100th birthday. It's a whistle, so oh, if you blow in yeah. it, it will remind you of uh, the sound you used to make. They've come to commemorate his 43 years of service with CN Rail. Oh boy! Still the life of the party, even at the century mark. I can't run a four-minute mile anymore. 
<laughs> What's your time now? <laughs> Eight or nine hours. His wish to take one more train ride across the country to see his brother. This is my dad with his with his youngest brother Bob, the only other surviving member of the family. Working the rails was the family trade. His father and two other brothers also worked for CN. I didn't know that that was. I should have come with a black suit. Not too long after getting his start, Bill was given leave to join the Royal Canadian Air Force in the Second World War. He flew more than 30 missions as a bomber gunner over Germany and France. We bombed on D-Day, 6, 10 in the morning. We had no fear at all. You know. we, we, we bombed a heavy gun emplacement. I'm a survivor. This is in the CN newsletter. Before setting out a chance to celebrate with family and friends in Gibsons. Last year, he went sailing for his 99th birthday. To mark 100, he joked about doing something a little more daring. Well, how about jumping out of a Lancaster bomber with a parachute? In Schomburg. So, well, maybe you could do it in Hamilton, because they still have a Lancaster bomber in Hamilton, right? That's right, I've been there. No grand plans yet on how to celebrate 101. Bill figures his traveling days will have reached the end of the line after this big trip. So no more adventures after this? It's not like yeah. You've done it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess I have. Yeah. Jay Durant, Global News. Happy birthday, Bill. Have a great trip. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that we should all know about, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, they say when it rains, it pours, and that is certainly the case. Christy's got the details of what's this, a new high stream flow advisory, Christy? Well, it's because we have substantial rain expected for the BC Peace River area. So we're talking about 60 to 80 millimeters of rain in a 36-hour period, potentially, maybe even more than 80 millimeters. So issued just a couple of minutes ago by the BC River Forecast Center for the BC Peace River, Pine Pass, uh, Mackenzie area, and down through the uh, upper Fraser River. It's now under a high stream flow advisory. So the idea is that we're going to see the rivers rise because of that substantial rain in a short amount of time so a lot of runoff and uh, the BC River forecast center is hoping people will just stay away from rivers and streams just because uh, they will be so high could be dangerous especially in areas where there's been forest fires and you could see more debris coming yeah. down the waterway as well all right thanks very much Christy thanks for watching everyone thanks Asa and have a great night we'll be back tomorrow